the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt podcast, bringing to you the best voices on the stories and issues that matter. Helping make it all possible is the generous partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. Here's another piece I'll trust you enjoy. I have a very small question brought to my attention by a retired Marine Corps general officer last night. From the fall of the wall until now, we have gone through a bad war in Serbia that Bill Clinton ran. We did not see 9-11 coming. We executed poorly in Afghanistan disastrously after 20 years. We executed poorly in Iraq. Then we were followed by Barack Obama's disaster in Libya, disaster in Syria, disaster in Iraq, leading to ISIS, the second, uh, the first invasion of Ukraine. Then we had the second invasion of Ukraine. And our 2006 national security strategy under Debbie did not even take China seriously. The question is, how can we be so bad at this? And this is not a Republican or a Democrat question. It's an American question. We have not had any strategic vision since the wall came down. Why? Uh, Hugh, it uh, reminds me of something that Bob Gates famously said in uh, testimony in front of Congress, I believe after he left Secretary of Defense, that, uh, you know, our record on predicting uh, and planning for the next war has been perfect, uh, going back at least since Vietnam, if not World War II. We have never gotten it right. Um, and, and you're right that uh, too often, especially since the, the wall came down, that leaders in both parties do not have the foresight, the basic appreciation of the context of geography and history in our constitutional system to foresee who would have been our major challenge. For instance, with China, you know, going back to Tiananmen Square in 1989, uh, would that George H.W. Bush had taken a firmer line there, uh, use it to undermine communist authority in that country, and that both parties, George H.W. Bush, Bill Clinton, uh, George W. Bush and partners in Congress had not empowered China by giving them first permanent most favored nation status and second uh, entry into the uh, World Trade Organization, which has uh, powered them not only to expand their military, but as often almost always happens once a growing power economy takes off uh, to grow their military as well. Um, so there's been a lot of mistakes made over the last 30 years, but we made those mistakes based on poor choices, not based on inevitable trends or forces beyond uh, human control, and, and therefore we can reverse them and reverse them in effect by making the right choices, doing things like rapidly and significantly rebuilding our defenses to prepare uh, for a potential war against China and therefore hopefully to deter that war um, or to signal to China that uh, we're not going to let them get away with something like invading and annexing Taiwan back to the mainland. That kind of, of firm, quick, resolute response to any kind of aggression coming from China is the best way to deter war from happening in the first place. So the the general obliviousness of America to pending disaster. I mean, we didn't see Pearl Harbor coming. Uh, we didn't see Korea coming. And that that's that's MacArthur, Atchison, George Marshall and Harry Truman didn't see Korea coming. We stumbled into Vietnam and the Kennedy best and brightest didn't see that killing DM would result in what happened. Five more years of disastrous war under Democrats and two under Nixon. And then all this. Is there did we give up studying strategy 
in, in the American military. What is, why are we bad at this? Well, Hugh, I wouldn't lay it at the feet primarily of the American military and military leadership. I would lay it at the feet of um, America's political leadership. Um, just to take the example of Vietnam, for instance, that war did not have to become an American war. It could have been a war where we supported our partners in South Vietnam. John F. Kennedy made two key mistakes early in the war. You cited one of them, allowing them uh, to be overthrown and assassinated. Uh, he was certainly not a member of the Little Sisters of the Poor, uh, but he was pro-American, and he was the best leader South Vietnam had against communist aggression. Uh, but second, he also enabled uh, what became the Ho Chi Minh Trail by being so soft with uh, Russia and North Vietnam uh, and Laos early in his presidency. Um, that war never had to become an American war the way it became from 1965 to roughly 1971. Um, that's the result not of military failure. That's the result of poor political um, statesmanship. Okay, well, let me pause on that. I just finished reading this biography of Nimitz, E.B. Potter's biography of Nimitz. It's fabulous. I've never even knew anything about Chester Nimitz other than he ran the Pacific War along with MacArthur. And he was trained in the hard knock school of realism. Learn a disaster occurs. You immediately have an inquiry like the Battle of Lady Golf, where was Bull Holsey, et cetera. And then you correct and you move forward. Kabul, this book about Afghanistan, the exit. We learned nothing in 20 years, Senator Cotton. And you served there. Why could we not learn anything in 20 years in Afghanistan? Well, I mean, some of this goes back to your initial point. It's what uh, you know, Bill Rude, who you may have known uh, in his years out at Claremont in your time in Southern California, called the Democratic Strategic Deficit. Not just America, but countries like Great Britain, uh, in particular, before World War I and World War II, you know, our societies are not organized along martial lines. They don't appeal to force to resolve disputes in the same way that uh, uh, dictatorships do, like China today, Russia today, Russia, Russia almost always, Iran. Um, and, and therefore, most peoples and therefore their leaders are, are focused on the pursuits of peace, of commerce, uh, of earning a living, of family, um, of community. And uh, therefore, their leaders tend to be focused on that as well. And they don't focus on gathering dangers over the horizon, uh, as opposed to aggressive uh, dictatorial nations. When that's the way of life you have at home, it tends to concentrate the mind abroad as well. Um, but it's a common, unfortunately, it's a common recurrence throughout history, especially throughout the history of democracies, is that they don't see the next war coming. Or even if they see the next war coming, they'd rather just push it off one more time, hope that it doesn't come. I mean, just think at all the chances that France, but especially Great Britain had from 1923 to 1939 to stop World War II, or at least make it much um, less bloody and less protracted than it was, you know, whether it was the Ruhr crisis or the Abyssinian crisis, the remilitarization of the Rhineland, e even the Sudeten crisis, much better to have fought over Czechoslovakia in 1938 than it was to fight over Poland in 1939. Yet, Great, uh, Great Britain's leaders, not just Neville Chamberlain, but most leaders kept thinking if we just take one, one, give them one more concession, turn one more blind eye to their aggression, this will satiate them. This will be the end of the conflict, when in reality it simply empowers them. And I feel that fear that's what Joe Biden and his uh, administration is doing today in China. Look, I mean, they have Gina Raimondo over in China this week kowtowing uh, to Beijing, giving them every kind of concession and um, accommodation possible. All that does is embolden Xi and uh, Chinese communists. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. 
Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-702-5400. I'm here with spokesman John Wolf. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-702-5400. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-702-5400. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Now, with that that long runway, I want to turn the debate on Wednesday night. I know you're not aligned with anyone. You're not endorsing anyone. You're You're following the race closely and offering advice, and I'm sure... You'll send a copy of Only the Strong to every candidate who requests it. Probably autograph it for him, underline it for him. That's the Tom Cotton's book on defense. What did you make of that debate? And in particular, the first question about the song Rich Men North of Richmond would have allowed a candidate to go anywhere. Nobody went to Afghanistan. Nobody talked about the second anniversary of the collapse at all. I mean, it was kind of remarkable for two hours that no Republican brought up Joe Biden much. Well... First off, I'll, I'll confess that I had the split screen on with the Red Sox Astros, and I had a little bit more attention on the Red Sox Astros than I did on the debate. But I, I thought uh, all the candidates there would do a much better job than Joe Biden. I thought, in particular, uh, Ron DeSantis, Nikki Haley, Tim Scott, Mike Pence, um, leaders that I know well and have worked with, did a good job of laying out you know, what is America's national security interest um, and why we do the things we do. And as you point out, um, that song, um, which is kind of an unexpected lead-in to the debate, could be seen not just in terms of, of economic or domestic policy, of, you know, what bad trade policy has done to working-class manufacturing jobs, but also what it means for national security. Um, it is the working men and the women working men and women of America and their children who, by and large, are cashing the checks that elites in Washington and New York are writing when it comes to national security. Not to say that some of those people don't have sons and daughters who join the military. I know they do. But by and large, it's folks from working class communities, oftentimes the sons, daughters, or grandsons and granddaughters of veterans themselves who are cashing the checks that our leaders are writing, um, and, and that we should be more hard-nosed and clear-eyed about exactly why we do the things we do. So, for instance, to talk about Ukraine, I think it's it's very important to do what Joe Biden never does, which is explain why we support Ukraine for our interests. You know, we're not doing this because it's a charity case. We do it because it's good for America. It's like Ronald Reagan. Why did Ronald Reagan champion the cause of solidarity in Poland or champion the Contras in Nicaragua? Yes, he esteemed them and admired their fight for freedom against communist repression. But he didn't do it just for that reason or only primarily for that reason. He did it because it advanced America's interest to undermine communist regimes in those countries. And just like today, we can admire and respect the brave Ukrainians who have fought against such difficult odds. But we're doing this because it's in America's interest, not because it's a charity case for them. Do you believe that it's always too little, too late with Team Biden? Because right now the Ukrainians have a, have had a breakthrough in the southern part of the front, but not all the way through to the Sea of Azov. They don't need to get all the way to the Sea of Azov, actually. But they're making progress. They don't have any F-16s. If we'd given them the F-16s a year and a half ago, they'd know how to use them right now in support of yeah. their ground advance. Do, yeah. Are they ever going to change in the Biden administration? 
they, they've certainly given too little, and they've certainly done it too late. I hope it's not actually too little too late, because that would mean that Ukraine doesn't have a chance uh, to su- succeed uh, in the defense of its land against this war of unprovoked aggression by Russia. Um, but you're no doubt right, as we've said many times over the last two years, Hugh, going back to before the war started, that uh, President Biden was too timid and weak and scared to do what he should have done, which is give Ukraine exactly what they needed to stop the invasion in the first place, or to, in the early days of the war, to give Ukraine exact, all they needed to stop the invasion from going as far as it did. So, for instance, in the early days of the war, it was the Battle of Kiev, and the Ukrainians were very effective in bogging down Russian columns of armor coming out of Belarus and stopping that invasion. Uh, it was clear once that invasion was slowed down that Russia would shift to the east and, and engage more traditional armored warfare. What didn't we do? We didn't rush to the more anti-tank weapons, long-range munitions, cluster munitions, tanks and armored personnel carriers or aircraft that could be used to stop that invasion. Um, It was a day late and a dollar short. Therefore, the invasion was more successful than it might have been. Look what we did last winter. Again, we slowly delivered the aid they need. Um, We allowed Russia to uh, consolidate its position, to dig in, to lay minefields, to lay other kinds of defenses. If Ukraine had had everything it needed when it needed it, their offensive could have started months ago uh, before Russia had a chance to dig in and solidify its position. And now you have in the media, you know, a bunch of Biden administration officials, you know, uh, sniping on background that Ukraine is not fighting the kind of war we would fight, you know, so-called what we call combined arms warfare of infantry maneuver forces, plus armor columns, plus artillery. Well, one of the reasons they're not doing that to you is that we only do that when we've established air superiority. Exactly. I love that. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review. Our program is coming today in partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. It's America's most unique graduate leadership programs offered on Pepperdine's breathtaking campus in Malibu, California. Learn more at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. If you're enjoying the podcast, please tell a friend to go to Town Hall Review and sign up as well today. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.